good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad that you're here. It's good to see you, Joe, sometimes. We're, uh, we're glad that you're here. I know that we have a lot online uh, joining us as well. I'm glad that they're able to join us. Before we get started, for those of you that may want or need this, moms, we have a, a nursing room, a mother and baby room. It's in a room uh, in the back of the ladies' restroom, and so you can use that there. You don't have to come to the front anymore, which was awkward. Uh, now you can go to the back. So we're in John chapter 15, verses 26 down to 16, 4. This is in an ongoing discussion and context of Jesus as the true vine. Uh, it's in the context of Jesus telling and warning his followers that they will face persecution. And so I'm going to read the text and then we'll dig in this morning. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to be studying this, and I want to remind what we've been talking about. Remind you of what we've been talking about. John 15 uh, John 13 to 17, Jesus is leaving. He's preparing his disciples. These words are important. These are succinct reminders and truths that he wants them to remember after he's gone and also to be prepared for after he's gone. In John 15, he, he reiterates that he is the source of life, that he is the true vine, that they must live in vital dependence and connection on him, that he is not simply an addition to their life. He is their life. He is the one that sustains now, that's important because after he leaves, they must remain in that vital dependence. They must continue to draw life from him and, and let him invigorate them and through them and then bear fruit. And then he comes to John 15, 18, all the way down to 16, 4. And he begins to prepare the disciples for after he's gone for the times, for the persecution, for the suffering that they will face that is to come. And that's where we find ourselves. Up until verse uh, John 16, 1 and 2, Jesus has been very general. He said the word, the world will hate you. He uses the word hate, and he's used the word persecute. Hate is an attitude. Persecute is an action. And it ranges. It could be harassment. It, it could be opposition. And as he tells us today, it, it is likely going to lead to far more severe conflict and opposition, and we'll, we'll look at that this morning. So we're going to see the conflict that he's outlining in greater detail this morning. And then we're going to back up to 26 and 27, because in the middle of this long passage, he's going to remind the disciples and remind us that there is a resource that we have in the midst of affliction and suffering and persecution. There is good news for you and I. We will face these things, but we are not alone and without wisdom and without power. We have the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, he's going to give in verse 4, 16, 4, he's going to give us a reminder and an encouragement. Now, before we dig into this, it's important to understand, you're going to hear about persecution this morning, and, and this is important for us to understand. We often say, well, that's not my experience, that's not what I experience on a daily basis. But again, persecution could be 
on a range. It could be on a spectrum. It could be simply opposition. Many of you have experienced, because of your faith in Christ, you've been ostracized from your family. Or maybe because of your profession of faith or your stand for Christian conviction, you have been ostracized in your workplace. And then there are many in the world, though it may not be our experience, there are many in the world who have faced persecution, even death. And though it may not be our experience, it doesn't mean it will always be that way. We may one day experience that. And so we need to understand that as we dig into this this morning. Let's talk about this conflict and what Jesus is preparing the disciples for. He gives them really two things. One, the severity of the conflict that they're going to face. And, and two is the cost. And I think, and I so appreciate this. This is so important that he gives the disciples the followers of Christ, he gives us the cost. He, he, he prepares us before we enter into the, the persecution to come. So let's talk about the severity. He says in verse 1, I've said these things to you <coughs> to keep you from falling away. Now, if you're like me, your, your, word, your mind goes straight to that phrase, falling away, and, and we're going to study that word this morning. But before we do, let's remember the context of the first thing that he says there. I have said these things to you. He uses that phrase four times in, in chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15. And in every setting, in every context, it's to prepare the disciples for something that is to come. And in one sense, it's to show them, I am the Lord of hosts who knows all things, who sees all things, who's in charge and in control at all times, so that when it happens, what I'm telling you, when it happens, you will know that I forewarned, I told you it was coming, and you will have greater belief. That's the context he uses it in John 13, 19. He says, so that, I'm telling you these things so that when they happen, you may believe. So that your, your faith is, is bolstered, it's encouraged, it's strengthened, not diminished. That's the context, always when he uses that phrase, that I'm telling you these things, or I have told you these things. But there's another sense in which he's preparing them for something that's to come because he doesn't want them to be caught off guard. And that's the sense in which he uses all of this language here in John 16:1. He is not wanting his disciples to be caught off guard. He doesn't want us to be caught off guard. He doesn't want them to be blindsided. There is persecution that will be coming. And I want you to be prepared. And he uses this word here when, that's translated in ESV as fall away. It's the Greek word skandalizo. And that word is important. It's not other Greek words he could have used. It's this particular word. And this word in, in extra biblical context is, is a snare or a trap. If you've ever seen cartoons or you've ever set traps, then you set this box up or you set some kind of string and instrument up with a weight on it. But often in the cartoons, there's a box with a stick, right? And there's bait in there. When you take the bait, you trip the stick, and the trap comes down. You're caught unaware. You are trapped instantly. And any animal caught in that situation starts to freak out. And that's, that's the context in which he is warning the disciples. He's warning them, I don't want you to be caught off guard. I don't want you to be caught unaware. In the Old Testament, the word is often used to mean uh, an unseen snare, an unseen obstacle that causes stumbling. Those are the two senses in which it's used. And the New Testament picks up on that, that meaning, and that's how it begins to use the same word. And it means an, an unseen obstacle that displeases or unsettles. If you're wondering, what is a scandalizo? I brought a scandalizo this morning. This is a scandalizo. This is a little gear 
from a little toy from my two-year-old, and at two in the morning when I'm walking to the restroom and I step on this, it is a scandaliso. It is a moment where I trip and I stumble and things come out of me that I didn't know that were actually in me. If you've ever been in this moment, this is something that's not supposed to be there. This, is, this doesn't make sense to me. So in this sense, what Jesus is doing is preparing them for the severity and for the shock. This, the persecution to come is so great and so severe that you, will, you, will trip, you might likely trip up over this. You might likely begin to go, wait, I thought following Jesus was supposed to be easy. I thought I was not supposed to suffer. I thought it was supposed to be all roses and easy. And Jesus is preparing them, no, 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 no. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be difficult. He's already told them that you are alienated from the world and the world is alienated from God. I don't know what that was. You are alienated from the world and the world is alienated from God. You are at odds with the world. You have a new life, a new worldview, a new way of living. And now he's preparing them for the details of what that's going to be like. And he's warning them, I don't want you to be tripped up or caught off guard. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be unsettled. I don't want you to come to the point of even fearing and wondering, did I place my faith in something that's not true? The reason it's so important that he's telling them that is because he knows the severity and of the persecution that is to come. Now, real quickly, an important thing, because I, I think many of us look at that and say, well, why is the phrase fall away used there? Uh, it's not the Greek word episteme. It's not the Greek word for abandon the faith or depart from the faith or forsake someone. That's not what Jesus is saying here. And it's unfortunate the ESV and the NIV translate this fall away or abandon the faith. If you study the KJV or the RSV or, or other translations, they, they use the word as it's intended, which is stumble or as an obstacle. It, it, it's scandalous, so it's trip up, not abandon the faith. Abandon the faith is used in Hebrews 4, th uh, chapter 3, verse 12. It's used in Luke. It's used in other places. And, and, it, and sometimes it is translated as fall away, but it means to literally walk away from the faith. And John's going to give later theology to why would someone walk away, and he's going to say in John, 1 John 2, 19, because they were never of the faith. But this is, in this context, this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about surprise. That's the context of all of the language. Don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard. Don't, don't get to the point where you fear. And the reason we would fear is because of how severe it's going to be. The reason they will fear is because of how severe it's going to be. And he tells them in great detail in verse 2. The severity and now the cost. In verse 2 he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. That's the first thing. And the second thing, escalating on top of that, is indeed the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They'll actually think that it's worship to God. So these are two different things, and they're escalating in severity and cost. The first thing we can't really identify with, maybe we think we do, oh, okay, they'll put you out of the church, just go find another church. That's not what this means. To be put out of the synagogue was severely serious and costly to be mark and luke both say they'll drag you before the synagogues as a place of judgment they'll actually beat you in the synagogues and now john says and they'll cast you out of the synagogue what this means is you're being excommunicated from the community 
In Mark, he says that some children, sons and daughters will bring you before. Some parents will bring you before the synagogue. So your family is going to betray you. You, you will be cut off from the community. You will not have a, an economic opportunity. You will have no more opportunity to trade and buy and sell inside the community. You, you are as good as dead. Ceremonies would be performed. You are dead to us. But what's more is this is not simply social death and communal death. This is also spiritual death because if you're cut off from the community, then you are considered unclean. And what does an unclean Jew do in terms of worship how can that person worship they can't they cannot enter the temple they cannot enter before God so you're not simply cut off from us you're also alienated from God that's what it means to be put out of the synagogue this is massive and he's preparing them this will occur this will happen you will be ostracized you will be opposed you will even have your family betray you your family will betray you you will be cut off in their eyes and what they will say from God. Now quickly, I think it's very interesting. The world will say, the, the world will condemn, the world will judge, and the world will say, you're alienated from God. But Jesus has said, no, 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 the world is alienated from God. I came to die to bring you in. And what he's going to remind us is that we have to remember that and preach that to ourselves daily. But then he escalates. So he says that you will be put out of the synagogue and then he says, you will also likely even face death. You'll be delivered to the synagogue, beaten in the synagogue, put out of the synagogue. They'll even take you, and it, it may result in physical death, not simply spiritual death or social death. It may even result in the cost of your, your own life. This is extraordinary. They, they will actually sacrifice you and think they're doing a service to God. Can you think of anybody in maybe the book of Acts who actually did this? Maybe his name was Saul, where he went and he asked for the names of Christians and asked for the right to go into Christian homes and take them and drag them out. And what did he do? He dragged them before synagogues. And why did he do it? Because he actually thought he was serving God. That, that is not going to be too far from this scene. And so this is important for them to understand and be prepared for. It's important for us to understand. Je Jesus is, is preparing them for the moment that he departs and the moment that they will begin to face persecution and opposition. And he does not want them to be caught off guard. And, and as a reminder, again, this is not, I don't want you to, to fear abandoning the faith or losing your salvation, which is sometimes maybe how we might interpret this. I, I, I'm, Jesus is not concerned about that. How do you know that? Because the larger context of what he's already said. In John chapter 6, he says, Anyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6, 37, 38, 39. The language literally means, I will never, never cast out. It's not possible. If you come to me in faith, I will not cast you out. And then right on the heels of that, he says nor will I ever lose you. So in a real sense, he's saying, I will never, never cast you out, nor will I ever, ever lose you. You are safe in my grip. He goes even further in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, verse 27, 28, he says, not only are you safe in my grip, but you're also safe in the double grip of father and son. 
Your salvation is secure. So again, he's, he's, he's concerned that they be caught off guard in fear and doubt. And that's the context here. And I think it's important. We have a slide here. We've been trying to prepare families and, uh, to think about how to discuss this with uh, all of our texts with their kids. And this might be a good point where parents, you might want to talk about following Christ and why that's not easy and why Jesus would prepare the disciples beforehand for this and how it contrasts with what most people think following Jesus is. Most people think following Jesus is easy. Most people think the prosperity gospel teaches that if you, if you believe hard enough, if you do enough, then you'll get all these blessings from God. That makes him a slot machine, not a commitment that might cost you your life. And so parents, this would be a great point for us to, to really hammer home and have a conversation with our parents. Why is it important to know these things also before they occur? And that's what Jesus is doing. He's preparing the disciples before this. So this is not easy believism. He's not looking simply for spectators. He's, he's wanting followers who, who, who commit their lives, who understand the cost. Later in Luke 14, he's going to tell the disciples to count the cost. He's going to tell them to understand. And I think this is so encouraging and so important for us because th this is not the cultural Christianity that we often see or often maybe experience or maybe even we think that we, we have. This is true discipleship, true cost of discipleship. It may cost us even our lives. What Jesus is saying is that we must love and must, must cling to him more than anything else. He's preparing the disciples to rather than trip over him as a stumbling block, as a scandaliso, to cling to him as the rock of their salvation. That's what's going on here in this text. Now, if this is discouraging, remember the context and remember what he's doing. He's trying to prepare them. And that's a sign of affection. That's a sign of concern. That's a sign of care and love. I care about you. I don't want you to be caught off guard. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to, to also, I don't want you to think that you've got to do this alone. And that's where we come to the resource that he provides. Backing up in verse 26 and 27, in the middle of of John 15, 18, all the way down to 16, 4, is this resource, the good news, the good news that though you will face opposition, though you will face affliction, though you will face suffering, though you will face persecution, you do not face it alone or without power or wisdom or resources. No, the Holy Spirit is coming to you. This is what he says in verse 26. But when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus, just as a reminder, Jesus already prepared them once. In John 14, he said, the Helper is coming. And then he says who the Helper is. It's the Holy Spirit. And he says he will come to you, and he will come alongside you. Uh, Holy Spirit, paraclete, para alongside, clete, Calio called, he's the one called alongside you, and he will come as a comforter, he will come as a counselor, he will come as a guide, he will come as an advocate, and here we learn, he will come as a witness. He will come and he will put his arm around. And what will he witness to? He will witness about Christ. Everything the Holy Spirit does is to point us to Jesus, to remind us of the good news of the gospel. How essential, how important, how vital is that resource in the midst of persecution? in the midst of opposition, in the midst of suffering. 
when we despair, when we think, I'm, all in, I'm in this all alone, I don't have any help, I don't know what to do, or we, we are tempted to think, well, I've got to figure it out, I've got to climb out of this, I've got to solve this problem, I've got to muster up strength. No, the Holy Spirit has come alongside you. He is your power, He is your strength, He is your wisdom. He will be the one to guide you, to instruct you, to teach you. As a reminder, when we went through John 14, we talked about what Jesus says there is another helper or a second helper. So Jesus is the first helper, the first advocate, and the Holy Spirit is the second. And, and, and the testimony of the word is that Jesus is, is at the right hand of the Father right now, and he's advocating on behalf of those who are his. He is pleading his righteousness before God. He's saying, that one's mine, my blood, my righteousness, my works, my life for theirs. What does the Holy Spirit do? He comes alongside us and he says, hey, Jesus' blood, Jesus' works, Jesus' righteousness for you. It's not on you. It's not in you. It's him. He is your hope. He is your strength. He is your power. He is the one that you hope in and trust in. And so that's what he's coming to do. And here what we're learning is that he's coming to witness to us, to preach the good news of the gospel to us, to give us strength, to give us hope, to give us, to give us vitality in the midst of suffering. He's going to come and to, to preach in this way. When we don't know what to say in the middle of persecution, he will be the one to speak. That's what Mark says in Mark 13. Don't worry, don't, don't be anxious about what you're going to say in the middle of that, that situation when they drag you before the synagogues, when they drag you before the judges, when they drag you in these cir circumstances and they want to cast you out. Don't worry what to say. It doesn't mean don't prepare. It just means don't worry. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will speak for you. We're told elsewhere in the Scripture, when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays. When we don't know what to, where to go, what to do, the Holy Spirit leads. This is the entire testimony of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Paul was stopped from going into some cities by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he was prompted to go into other cities by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is an immeasurable, powerful resource at our disposal. And this is where it's important for us, because I don't want you to lose sight, because we may not have people coming in here trying to run us out of this building persecuting Christians, doesn't mean this is not still a resource for everyday Christian living. The Holy Spirit has, comes alongside to preach the good news of the gospel to us, to remind us of the good news of the gospel constantly. So he's the one that opens our eyes into faith. He's the one that, that, that guides us in faith, and he's the one that will come alongside us and guide us in the midst of persecution. He's an immeasurable resource that, that comes to us, that Jesus is calling to us, and he actually says, it's good that I'm leaving and he's coming to you. He's an unbelievable resource that we must lean on now here's the other thing that's most I think it's amazing is verse 27 in terms of this resource he says and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning this is this is unbelievable so in the middle of persecution the Holy Spirit is the one that will come in he will comfort God support he will preach the gospel to you remind you of your identity when everyone else says you're alienated from God the Holy Spirit will say no you are at home with him because of the work of Christ when family casts you off know that it's Jesus who says you are my sons and daughters adopted and beloved the Holy Spirit's going to do that he's going to preach the gospel to us but he also is going to preach the gospel through us 
And this is the most remarkable thing, as I'm studying this this week, is the good news of the gospel is the Holy Spirit's going to remind us, it's going to preach it to us, but the good news of the gospel is also for us in persecution, but also for our persecutors. Don't miss that. It's never intended to be something that stops here. The Holy Spirit teaches, reminds, we're saved, we're rescued, we're redeemed, we're simply branches. We're also intended to bear fruit, and that fruit is intended to be enjoyed by the world. The Holy Spirit is going to work through us, or to us, and through us, bringing the good news of the gospel to our persecutors. And this is where it begins to really mess up with our Western comfort idol, where we think following Jesus is simply about good stuff and prosperity and blessings. Because in Mark... 13.9, Jesus says, They will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Luke is even more specific. He says that you will be persecuted, and this persecution will be, and he uses the phrase, the word opportunity. This will be your opportunity to witness. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that we don't dodge persecution, that we weren't intended to follow him and have this perfect, easy, comfortable life. No, it is through persecution that the gospel will spread. It is through opposition, through affliction, through suffering, through persecution that the gospel will spread. In fact, that's the testimony again of the book of Acts. The gospel is supposed to go to Judea and Samaria and all the other parts of the world and the the apostles and the disciples are all huddled up in Jerusalem. And what is it that is the catalyst for spreading the gospel? Persecution. Persecution of the church. And then again, he reminds it's not about what you say, it's about what the Holy Spirit says through you. Fear not. And so this is an unbelievable resource that we have. This is supposed to encourage when you feel like you're alone and you're being oppressed and crushed, maybe on the small scale your family has disowned you because of your faith, or maybe at work they, they, they chide you because you stand for, for, for truth and, and you stand in opposition to, to other ways. This is, this is your encouragement. This is your resource. This is your hope in the midst of that. You're not alone and you're not without power or resource. And then that leads us to this final reminder that he gives. In verse 3, we're not going to spend a lot of time in verse 3 because it's a repeat of uh, 1521. Uh, But he says, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And then he adds this. This is what's different from 1521. Verse 4, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. There's two things that are extraordinary and powerful in, in that sentence. The first thing is when their hour comes. This is so, so beautiful. Every time in the Gospel of John, the word hour is used. Every time it's used, nearly every time it's used, it's always it's referring to Jesus' hour of, of crucifixion, the hour of his death, and, and the moment of, of his resurrection. So it's, it's, it's talking about that largely. And then occasionally it's talking about the hour, he says it already in verse 2, the hour when we will be persecuted. And now he's talking about the hour, their hour, their moment, the moment when it, when it appears all hope is lost, that their hour when they will come against you, the world. 
What's amazing is every time he uses that phrase, our, it's always simply a moment. It's a momentary blip on the radar. It's just a little bitty microscopic point. And it's always contrasted with what Jesus offers, which is everlasting and eternal and abundant and forever. So, so Jesus' hour of death is the hour that we will begin to be persecuted. It looks as though it's the hour when the enemy has won. It looks as though the hour when, when all hope is lost. But don't fear. Because what Jesus offers, what Jesus secures, is eternal. Is abundant, it's forever. And Paul captures this in 2 Corinthians. He says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This little moment in time, though it feels like everything, this little moment in time is a blip on the radar in comparison to eternity. That's supposed to encourage, that's supposed to to, to build us up. In this moment, when we are crushed, when we are despair, when we're fearful, we're, we must remember this is only a moment that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. The other thing that he says, and this is important for everyday Christian living, especially in affliction, Jesus is preparing them before the affliction for when they are in the affliction, as he says, remember. This is so important for everyday Christian living and even in affliction and suffering. Remember. Remember what? Remember all that I told you. Now here's what's fascinating. It says it in 14. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? He will come to you, and He will come alongside you, and He will remind you of all that I have taught you. The Holy Spirit will remind, and you must remember. Remember what? The good news of the gospel. That those circumstances look as though all is lost, though it looks like the world is ending, though it looks like your world is coming to an end and crumbling around you. Do not lose heart. Do not lose hope. The Savior is still on His throne. When the world condemns, when the world says you're alienated from God, God could never love you, when the enemy comes to you and attacks you, do not forget the good news of the gospel. No. Jesus is the true vine, the true bread, the true and living water. Jesus is the life, the resurrection and the life. He, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus died to bring me in so that I would not be alienated from God. When family and friends forsake you because of your commitment to Christ, do not forget the good news of what Jesus has already said. You are my friends. And I died to adopt you as sons and daughters and to bring you in. This is the good news of the gospel this morning, and it must be remembered, and it must be rehearsed, and the Holy Spirit is preaching that to us, and we must remember it and hear it and, and rehearse it. It's the both and of these two things that that Jesus is reminding us the good news this morning. Let's pray.